For life to work right, relationships need to work right. It's the way God made us. God has gone to great lengths to relate to us, so we have potential to build incredible relationships with one another. Gaining God's perspective will give us greater purpose, bring peace in the midst of conflict, and help us to restore relationships. God made us to be relatable. All right. Good morning, Mountain. It's good to be together. My name is Jared Fox. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to be together today. We're starting a brand new series called uh, Relatable. Uh, Before we hop into that, we want to give a big shout out to our friends over at the Bel Air campus. I had a friend in town a couple weeks ago, so I got the opportunity to actually go around and show them each of our campuses. And it was really my first time seeing the Bel Air campus done, like relaunched in their new space and their new home at the Arena Club. Let me say it's awesome. It is killer. And it is so fun to be over there together. And also a big shout out and hello to all of our friends over at the Edgewood campus, uh, hanging out there that Sunday too, just the energy and excitement and love for God and each other. And you know what I was thinking as I was preparing for today, like we've said hi to Bel Air, okay? We've said hi to Edgewood. You know what's coming soon? We're going to be saying hi to the brand new Abingdon campus, right? Yeah, I'm excited about that. If you've been around at all the past few weeks, you've heard us talking about the fact that the Abingdon campus is coming in September, right behind Wegmans, the greatest landmark in all of Hartford County. It's coming. It's going to be here soon. As we started talking about this new campus, the excitement, the energy has just been tremendous. People are so pumped about what's coming, and a lot of people have hopped on board and said, yeah, I'm in. Maybe you're one of those. You're sitting here today at one of our campuses, and you're thinking like, yeah, I'm going, I'm in. Or maybe you haven't yet, but you want to. Maybe you're sensing this call to go, or maybe you're just sensing the change in our community, that something new is coming, and things are shifting and changing. And here's the deal. We're a multi-site church. That means we're one church in three locations, soon to be four. And one of the things I love about multi-site, it moves the mission forward. You've heard us say this before, right? Our mission is to make more and better disciples. And think about it. Doesn't this work? We go and we put a brand new campus in a community where there's not many churches, but there's a ton of people. And more people come to know who Jesus is because it's in their community. And as we start this new campus, there's the reality that in order for it to happen, we need a bunch of people stepping up to serve and groups and kids and welcome and worship and better disciples are made because we're giving of ourselves. And at the same time, a bunch of us, we say, you know what, we're going to go. We're going to go help start this new campus. We're still part of Mountain. We're just across town. We're going to help start this new thing. And and seats, they free up at all of our campuses. And new people come in. And they fill those seats. And more disciples are made. And as we leave, those of us who are serving in kids ministry and welcome and groups and worship and wherever else, right, there's gaps here that are to be filled and those of us who are still worshiping at our other campuses, we, we step up and we serve and better disciples are made. And so maybe you've already made the decision, like, I'm going, I'm in. I'm going to the new campus. Awesome. Maybe you haven't made that decision yet. You can do that today. Or maybe you're just feeling this sense, this calling from the Lord that, you know, it's time for me to step up and serve. Maybe this is the moment you start to feel that. I want to invite you to make that decision today. Before we hop into the message, I just want to encourage you in the seat back pocket around you at all of our campuses, there's one of these cards. 
Go on and pull it out. I want to see everybody grab it, hold it, feel it, look at it. On one side of this card, it says Abingdon Campus, and it says, I want to go to the Abingdon Campus. And then it has a place for you to put your name and your info, and then all the different ways, all the different possibilities there are to serve at the new campus. And I'm asking you to prayerfully consider joining us. If you live in or near Abingdon, help us start this new thing to reach a bunch of new people, to make more and to make better disciples. But also on this card, if you turn it over, at all of our campuses, it has your campus on top. Here it has Mountain Road at our Bel Air campus. It says Bel Air campus. At our Edgewood campus, it says Edgewood campus. And then it says, I want to stay and serve at the Mountain Road campus or the Bel Air campus, at the Edgewood campus. And all the different ways that you can get connected and step up and serve and help make more and better disciples at your campus. So whether you're staying or you're going, we're inviting you to say, how can I unleash love? The bottom of this card, it says, by worshiping where we live and serving where we worship, we unleash love here. We want to unleash the love of God here. So what is it for you? At the end of service on our way out, you'll be able to drop these at all of our campuses in buckets right by the door. And I encourage you over the next few minutes, prayerfully consider what is God calling you to and respond to it. And the easiest way to respond is just by filling out the card. You know, as we've started down the road of this new campus, we, we've had hundreds of people step up and say, Amen, yeah, I'm, I'm going. I'm excited. God, how are you going to use me? And we know that many more are going to join us and we're going to reach a bunch of new people. But as we've started this process and people have said, Yeah, I'm in, I've asked the question, Why? Right? Why are you in? What's brought you to this decision? And time and time again, 90% of the people who have said, yeah, I'm in, the reason has been the same. It's because it's in my community. It's where I live. It's where I have relationships. It's where the people who I love live. And I have this relationship with Jesus, and I have this relationship with people who are in my community, and I want those two things to connect, and I want them to relate and know who Jesus is. And it just made sense to me. I started to understand, like, we are people who long for relationships. It's what we're all about. We desire so deeply to have meaningful relationships. It's relationships that we want. We want community. We want connection. We want to relate to others. And today, as we start this new series called Relatable, we're talking all about relationships. And I know for some of us, right, that word relationship, it's a little bit scary, we have some sort of preconceived idea of what relationships are. Our past has trained and, and filtered our brain when we hear the word relationships to think a certain way. You know, for some of us, when we hear it, man, we, we get excited. We love relationships. We are extroverts to the core, right? Chase, our student pastor over at the Abingdon campus, we'll walk down the second floor of our, our offices up here in Mount, Mountain Center where everybody is, groups, welcome. And I'm like, I get from one end to the other. Chase, as he walks down, he's like, hey, hey, you want to talk? You want to have a conversation? Let's pause. Let's talk for a while. Let's spend 20 minutes talking when we could be working and getting stuff done, right? He loves relationships. He loves relationships. Some of us, man, we, we struggle with them. We have trouble relating with other people. We're lonely. We don't feel like we have good relationships in our lives. Some of us, we've been hurt by relationships, whether it's a friend or a spouse that's hurt us, 
We hear the word relationship and a wall, a wall goes up. And some of us, we have those relationships that we wouldn't trade for the world. They mean everything to us. You have an idea in your head when I say the word relationship and what it means to you. For some, they come easy. For some, they take a ton of work and a ton of energy. But no matter if you're introverted or extroverted, no matter who you are, relationships, they're vital in our lives. We want them. Whether we're willing to admit it or not, we all want deep, meaningful relationships. But not only do we want them, we also know that they are vital. They're a part of who we are. We were knit together a certain way, created in the image of a God who is all about relationships. It's in our DNA. You look at who God is. You've heard of the holy mystery called the Trinity, right? It's kind of hard to explain, but you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. You have God in one as three people, as three. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit, but somehow they coexist as one. God and his very being is relational. He is relationship. God's very being is about that. And so it's natural that we long for it. It makes sense. You know, we're going to be doing the study over the su summer that goes along with this series called Relatable. I hope you'll join us for that. You can sign up online. You can sign up at guest services. What we're going to do is we're going to take a hard look at relationships and how they impact and affect us. Because at its core, God is relationship. He is relational. He wants us to have deep connections. In the study, at the very beginning of the book, it says this. The author says, the flow of love from son to spirit and spirit to father and father to son is the essence of who God is. You know what? This is good news for people like us. Because all of us, we want better relationships. And no one is better at relationships than God. I mean, think about it for yourself. Don't you want better relationships, and as you kind of rewind the, the tape of your life, you can probably pinpoint the relationships throughout it. For me, man, Anton, third grade, he was my boy, my first friend, right? He was, he was my man. And then a few years later, Aaron, my neighbor, Aaron Stack, my neighbor, we hung out in the creek together, we rode go-karts together, we swam together, we were buddies, right? A few years later, I started going to church, and I got connected with Dan and Wes and Ben and Cree, and they're still some of my greatest friends to this day, my wife, Sarah, my woodshop teacher in high school, Mr. Davis, my pastor, Bart, where the list goes on and on. A couple years ago, Ben actually did uh, a sermon on friendship, and he talked about how important it was to have a best friend. And I sat here, I was here on a Saturday night thinking, you know, I, I've got some really good friends. I don't know I have a best friend. I end up out in the lobby, and I see my buddy Skip, and we make eye contact, and we start talking. And he said, man, it hit me today. Like, I don't... I don't have a best friend. I was like, I don't have a best friend either. And we made eye contact. We're like, did we just become best friends? We did, right? And, and no joke, that was the start of what is one of my greatest friendships right now. Right? We want relationships. We desire that. But not only do we want good relationships, we also want to offer good relationships. We want to be a good friend. We want to be a good coworker. We want to be a good spouse. We want to be a good partner in life. It's something we desire. What we need to know is it has to start. All of those relationships, the foundation of them has to start in one place. That's what we're going to talk about together today. 
See, in Matthew 22, Jesus is having a little bit of a struggle explaining who he is. And people just don't want to hear it. And so he has DTR. You know what a DTR is? Maybe you've heard this before. It's a define the relationship moment. Right? Whether you've called it a DTR or not, we've all had them. We've had those moments in our life where we say, you know, I need to define this thing. Are we friends? Are we not friends? I need to say what we are. <clears throat> My first DTR, it came uh, in fifth grade. Yeah. Jesse. Jesse was this girl. She sat across the room. I got to tell you, every now and then I'd look up and Jesse and I, we'd make eye contact. Whew, it's special. We'd make eye contact. I had like five times. I was like, you know what? It's, we got to define this. This is it. And so I just, just like you would picture any fifth grader would do, what did I do? I pulled out a piece of paper. I pulled out the pen, and I wrote Jesse a little note. I said, Jesse, we made eye contact a few times. I think I like you. I hope you like me. I'd like to be your boyfriend if you'd be my girlfriend. And then what did I do? I handed it to my buddy Anthony. All right? He walks it over. He puts it in front of Jesse. I see her open her up, and as she's opening up, man, my heart is thumping, my mouth is dry, my hands are shaking, my head is sweating. Is she going to say yes? Is she going to say yes? I don't know if she's going to say yes. I hope she says yes. This eye contact is intense. Like, please say yes. And I see her open the note, and she looks up, and she gets this real big smile. <laughs> Boom! That's right! Jesse's my girlfriend, right? And then, man, it was amazing two weeks. And she redefined the relationship with a note that said, I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> but then fast forward a few years, right? I'm, I find myself standing on the front porch of my now in-law's house. I've been dating my now wife for quite a few months. And I'm standing there with her hands in mine. I'm like, I think this is good. I think this is of you, God. I think this is the relationship you want me to have for the rest of my life. As long as I'm on this earth, I think you want her to be my wife. But it starts with just letting her know that I love her. Right? And I'm holding her hands and I'm looking at her in the eyes and my heart, it's beating and my head is sweating and my hands are shaking and my mouth is dry. And I, I look at her and I say, Sarah, I, I, hang on, I'm not going to throw up, I promise. I love you. I wanted you to know that. And she said it back. She said, I love you too. I'm glad you finally said it. And that started... A relation. It was the defining moment. It was the inflection point in our relationship that led to where we are now, right? And Jesus finds himself in this moment with a big group of people around him saying, we have to define this. Enough is enough. Let me just tell you what it means to be in relationship with God. And we catch up with Jesus in Matthew 22. And the people stand there and says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now, these are the guys who said, you know what, you need to follow the rules in order for God to love you. You need to perform. You need to earn his love. And one of them, an expert in the law, he tested Jesus. And he said to him, teacher, would you tell us, please? We're curious. You could kind of hear the sarcasm in his voice. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? I mean, looking at all of the Old Testament, all of the rules that we could possibly follow, teacher, which one's the greatest? Hoping to trick Jesus, kind of back him into a corner so that he'll say something that they can then argue, they can dispute. And Jesus has a DTR. And Jesus replies, 
love. Love. The greatest commandment in all of history is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. It has to start with love. Nothing else matters if you don't have the love of God in your life. And the second is like it again, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, all of the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. You seeing that? The most important thing, the thing you should care the most about, it's love. It's a relationship with God. And the Pharisees, you know, they wanted to hear Jesus say something like, oh, it's circumcision, it's upholding the Sabbath, it's praying at the right time, it's offering the right type of sacrifice. They wanted to hear Jesus say, you need to follow this rule. And don't we sometimes do that too? Like we say, Jesus, what, what do I need to do to earn your love? What can I do to be in your good graces? We seek out, seek out things we can do. The greatest commandment isn't do this thing and I'll love you. It's not how often you pray. It's not how often you go to church. It's not how often you do good things or not, say nice things. Now, all of those things are, are good, but those are not the things that define the relationship. It's about seeking a relationship with God. Jesus isn't saying, hey, do this. Do this pile of good works and then I'll love you. No, he's saying, seek a relationship with me and I'll love you. That's what it's about. It's about seeking me. The filter by which we should see God is not as a keeper of the rules, but through the lens of relationships. And we know when we find ourselves standing on the porch, holding Jesus' hands, and our heart is racing, and our mouth is dry, and our hands are shaking, and our forehead's covered in beads of sweat, and we want to say so badly, I love you. But we wonder, will he say it back? We wonder if maybe we'll pass the note, right? We'll make eye contact and we'll pass the note and they'll open it up and shake his head. Some of us have been there, right? We find ourselves in that spot where we're lonely and we're wondering, will somebody accept me? Will somebody love me? And we question, when I'm standing there on the front porch holding the hands, will he say yes? For God so loved the world. For God so loved each and every single one of you that he gave us his son. God says yes. And that defined the relationship moment. It's about loving God above all else and knowing, knowing that it's going to be reciprocal. That he already loves you. That he already knows you. So ask yourself this question, do you love him? Define the relationship, do you? I know, I know what you're doing, you're starting to say, well, of course I do, right? Let me go through the checklist, here it is. Yeah, like I, I have a relationship, I, I go to church, check. I do nice things, check. I don't curse, check. I give some money, check. I serve a little bit, check. I have relationships in the church, check. Stop with the rules, stop with the check boxes and just ask yourself, point blank, do I love Jesus? Do I have a relationship? Do you love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind? Because according to Matthew 22, nothing else matters if you don't. 
We know what Jesus says, the most important thing in all the universe, the thing that all the laws and the prophets, they hang on, is you having a relationship with our relational God. And you know he's going to save us. He says the second thing, right? The second commandment. It's like it. Don't get it confused. It's not it. But it is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And as you read that, you know what's hidden in there? The fact that in order to love your neighbor, you must also love yourself. And in order to truly love yourself, you have to love God. And you have to have a relationship with Jesus. All of the law and all of the prophets, they hang on this thing. A relationship with our relational God at its foundation. It's a relationship. So ask yourself, have a DTR. Who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Maybe you've already framed up Jesus. There's something in your past or something you've heard about Jesus or a way that the church has wronged you. You've already framed him up. You're sitting here today and you're thinking, I already know about Jesus, man. He, he, just, he just wants to take from me. He just wants my money. He just wants my time. He just wants my energy. Can I tell you something right here and right now? Jesus doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything you have. But he so dearly and desperately wants a relationship with you. God of the universe, he holds the power of the the heavens in his hands. He doesn't need anything, but he wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. That's what it is at its foundation. And in order for every other relationship to make sense, we have to be grounded and founded in that truth that our relational God wants relationship with us. Jesus explains this a little bit in John 15. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What Jesus is saying is there can't be any fruit without roots. Right? You have to have a foundation. You have to be connected to the source of life, the thing that sustains us. And if you do that, then the rest of your relationships, they can have fruits. But if you don't, he goes on to say this. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, you're like a branch. If you, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. In order for our relationships to bear fruit, we got to have some roots to say we're remaining in you, Jesus. And if you think about it, it's not really different than any other relationship you have, right? I think about my wife and I, we go through these seasons, I know we all do, where there's moments where we are really well connected and we're in tune and we're in sync and we're living life and we're loving it. And then we have moments that are tough. And we had one of those this week. And we've just been busy. She, she was just wrapping up a business and she's taking care of the kids through the summer and, and, and she's, she's doing a bunch of important stuff. And, and I feel like I'm doing, a, we're launching this campus and we're wrapping up the student ministry school year and we're just running and we're like passing ships, right? We, we're seeing each other every now and then, but not all the time. And finally this week, I started to get the look. Yeah, you guys know what's up, right? Like you walk by and it's just like. So what do I do? I take off running. I'm just kidding. No, I, I stop. I say, no, we got to figure this out. 
And we, we took a moment this week, actually a lot of moments, a long time one night, and we said, let's just talk. What's going on? Why do we feel so out of sync? Why do we not feel connected? And we started to have this conversation that basically what we're saying is, is we don't feel like we're connected to the source, right? We're not investing in each other. We're not spending enough time investing in one another. And so it makes everything else, the fruit of our relationship, start to wither up. We talked for a long time. We set some boundaries and we said some stuff that was really helpful and encouraging and we spoke truth. And then I looked at her and I said, babe, you know this has to be a sermon illustration, right? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I know. The truth is, if we're not connected, if we're not invested in the relationship, the fruit isn't there. Now, we can't have fruit without the roots. You got to be connected to Jesus. You got to be invested in Jesus. And so how do we do that? Well, he tells us a couple of verses later. He goes on and he says this. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Here it is. You ready? It's profound. Lean in here. Now remain in my love. Remain in my love. Stay connected to the source that gives us life, that helps us to bear fruit in our lives. Remain in my love. Love. And just a few verses later, Jesus, he says, he says, you know, I no longer call you servant. I call you friend. I want to do life not above you, but with you. I want to walk this life with you. I'm not your principal. I'm not your dictator. I'm not here to make sure you follow the rules. But instead, I want to be your ally and your friend. And I want to do life with you. You are not lonely. You are not alone. I am here and I am here always. And when we realize that, when we know the foundation is Jesus living with us, our relationships start to make more sense and they start to produce more fruit. You'll start to be more loving. You'll start to give more of yourself to serving. You'll start to be more generous. Your life will be filled with more joy even when joy doesn't make sense. And none of that happens because you have to. It happens because you have this relationship that's bearing fruits. But if you get the first thing wrong, the rest of it doesn't make sense. It has to start here before it can go here. Have a DTR. Define the relationship. Who's Jesus to you? And rest assured in knowing that you're not the first one to have a DTR. Matter of fact, we see it all throughout Scripture. One of the great heroes of our faith, the Apostle Paul, he has a DTR. And if there's anybody who knows anything about performance-based religion, man, it is Paul. Paul followed all of the rules, and he tells us all about it in Philippians 3. He says, hey, let me throw off a checklist. Let me tell you my pedigree. Let me tell you all the things that I have done that have made me think that I should earn the love of God. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, guess what? I have more. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, check. Of the people of Israel, check. Of the tribe of Benjamin, check. A Hebrew of Hebrews, I was the best of the best, check. And the list continues, and he says, in regards to the law of Pharisee, check. As for zeal, persecuting the church, check. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Faultless. Man, 
you want to talk about following the rules? I did it. And guess what? I was better at it than any of you. But then he had an encounter with a relational God. A God who wanted a relationship with Paul. You know, you could fill this list with whatever in your life. Maybe it's the good things you've done, or maybe it's even the bad things you've done. Like, God won't because of this list. Check, check, check. I've done these. He doesn't want a relationship with me. Well, I got news for you. According to Paul, he does. He does. But it's not based off what you have done or will do. Paul continues in Philippians 3, and here's what he says next. But wherever were gains to me, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, all of that stuff, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. It's about knowing Jesus, and he continues, and he says this. He says, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from doing the good things. It's not about the things I do, but it's about the faith in Christ. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about being connected to God and seeing the fruit that comes from that. Uh, that's a different tone, isn't it? Here's my pedigree, but guess what? I consider that garbage. Whatever my checklist is, garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And we see all throughout the book of Philippians, Paul has this joy. This joy that comes from knowing him. Matter of fact, in the very next verse, he says, I know him, but oh, I so dearly want to know him even more. I want to know him. I want to know Jesus, and I have a joy that comes from knowing him. Do you have that joy? Do you have it? Do you know what it means to have joy in knowing somebody? Let me show you a little example of what I mean. Check out the screen. It's time for the announcement. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah. Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this for me? Oh, hi. I know him. I know him. And I kind of picture and imagine when Paul would run into somebody who said the name Jesus, that he would be like, I know him. Oh my gosh, I know him. Jesus, I know him. I was in India a few years ago on a mission trip. India's one billion people. It's a lot. 3% of them profess to know who Christ is. We were there doing some training on student ministries and some other things, and we landed kind of in central India, and we had to make the long trek out to Damo, where CICM's headquarters is. That's the partner that we have in India. 
And on the way there, I mean, it was a treacherous trip. It was, it was planes, trains, and automobiles. I mean, it was everything, right? We got in the, the car, and we went to the plane. We got off the plane. We went to the train station. And we got to the train station. It was just packed with people. We were up on the platform. There were beggars. There were cows. There were people everywhere. There were things everywhere. It was a mess. Trying to squeeze through everybody and make it to our train before it leaves. And Javon, our host, the guy taking us from place to place, uh, he carried his Bible with him. In a place where it's not safe to carry your Bible, he carried it. And I'm a Christian. And as we're walking on this platform, he sees somebody and they make eye contact and they look at each other. And I can't understand what they're saying, but they're pointing to the Bible and pointing up and pointing to the Bible and pointing up. And then eventually they just, they grab each other and they embrace and they smile and they have joy and they're crying and they hold each other and they let go and they walk away. I say, Javon, who is that? He said, oh, he's a Christian. It's like, oh, you go to church with him? No, 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 brother Jared, I don't go to church with him. He saw my Bible. And he said, you know Jesus? I know Jesus too. We know Jesus. And because we know Jesus, we know each other. And they grabbed on and they held and they embraced and they had this joy. They said, I know him. I know him. By knowing Jesus, by resting in the faith that we have in him as somebody who wants to do life with us, the fruit of our other relationship starts to make sense. But it has to start with knowing him. So have you had your DTR? Have you defined the relationship? I know what you're thinking, like, well, I'd like to. I just don't really know how. And what does that mean? Or maybe, yeah, I think I do. Uh, but may, maybe some examples on how to do this would be helpful. I would become stagnant. I need something new. Let me give you three quick things. Here's the first one. The first one is make space. Here's my promise to you. This life is not going to create space for you. Right? There's not something out there saying, no, please be less busy. Work less. Watch less TV. Run less errands. We have to be intentional about creating space for God to work in our lives. Just like I've got to make space to go on a date with my wife. I've got to make space to invest in my kids. We have to make space to do life with Jesus. So what does that look like for you? We talk about this in the mountain walk. Maybe you've heard it before. Love God, love people, serve the world. Under the love God portion, which is what we're talking about today, it's worship together. Make time for this thing that we're doing here together. That's awesome. That's important. But also abide alone. Take some time and have a quiet time. Have a time of devotion. Have a time of relationship. Have a time of dating Jesus. Be devoted to him. Make space for personal time. What does that look like? Well, for me, the, the very, and I wish I could say I do this every day. I don't, but man, I try. The very first thing I do when I get to the office or in days where I'm not working, the very first thing I do when I get up is I open my Bible and I read. I just finished the book of Acts and it was powerful. It was powerful. And then... This is what works for me. It might not work for you. I open up my Evernote on my computer, and I write down my prayer. And I just, I just pray, and I praise. I thank God for who he is, and I, I pray the scripture back to him. For my friend Tammy, one of the things that all the students in our youth group back in Arizona knew where, where, I, where I ministered before I missed here um, is that Tammy, she had this spot in her closet where every morning she had time with Jesus. It was like a Jesus Narnia. 
right? She'd walk in and she'd have this little spot under all the clothes where she would just open her Bible with her flashlight and she would invest time. When my family started going to church and my mom understood how important this relationship was, I started to see her live this out. She had her chair in the living room and her Bible always on her chair. You didn't touch mama's chair, you didn't touch mama's Bible, but you knew it was there. And every day when I walked in, you know what changed? The place where that bookmark was. She was making space for God, and I saw that. And here in a couple weeks, I'm going to go out and visit my mom in Salt Lake City, and guess what I'm going to see? I'm going to see mama's chair, and I'm going to see mama's Bible. How can you make space? You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about this with our students as we wrapped up the school year, how important it was over the summer to invest time in a relationship with God. And we threw out the 30-day challenge, right? They say it takes like 22 days to form a habit, or some people say 25. I was like, well, forget that. I don't know which one it is. Let's just shoot high, right? We'll say 30. And so take the next 30 days and invest and watch how God creates this habit in you that's so hard to break. But not only a habit, it's fruit, You're being connected. You have fruit because of your roots. Create space. You don't know where to start. Open up the book of John or grab your YouVersion app and follow one of the many studies in there. Ask a pastor or a friend. But if nothing else, just make sure that you are making space. And then make a lot of the small moments. Something I need to get better at personally. Prayer, dinner, and lunch. Make that meaningful, not just a quick, hey, God, thanks for this food. It's going to bless us, even though it's not, because it's all greasy. Right? No, say something important, and praise God, and find a way to include your family in that. Maybe it's family devo, starting a family devo together. Reading at night to your kids, if you have little ones, put away Phineas and Ferb and get out a kid's Bible. Come invest. Create some roots. Maybe it's just pausing and looking around and just recognizing that God is and that he is with you. Or when you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, pray for them. Stop and do it. Make a lot out of the small moments. And then when our friend Carlos Whitaker was here a few months ago, he used this phrase that just makes too much sense. Gaze at God and glance at life. Change your posture. Because our posture says life is coming and life is busy and we need to perform and we need to do and we need to earn. And every now and then, let's stop and let's glance at God. Now flip the script and say, you know what, I am going to gaze at God and when life makes its way in, man, I'm going to glance at it. But my posture is going to be about this relationship. And as this relationship starts to make sense, and I realize God is with me, and my God is a relational God, and Jesus loves me. When I'm standing there on the front porch, and I'm holding the hands of Jesus, and my heart is pounding, and my head is sweaty, and my hands are shaking, and my mouth is dry, and I just so desperately want to say, Jesus, I love you, we know he's going to say it back. He's going to say it back. And it starts there. And when this relationship makes sense, when we have roots with our God, roots with Jesus, that's when we start to see fruit in every other relationship. Have your DTR. Define the relationship. Stand on that porch. Hold Jesus' hand. And say, Jesus, I love you. When he says it back, no, that's, that's where it starts.
That's where life begins. That's where life matters. Let's pray. Oh, God, I'm so thankful that you want to do life with me. You want to do life with us. But, God, we get to do this thing together. But, God, you're not far off just watching. You are here with me, desperately wanting a relationship. You've already defined the relationship for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that God so loved me, that God so loved us. God, help us to live in it and to know it and to define the relationship. We love you, Jesus. Amen.